Welcome to the Nathan Crane Podcast. Nathan is a certified holistic cancer coach, 20-time award-winning documentary filmmaker, competitive CrossFit athlete, and best-selling author of Becoming Cancer-Free. With nearly two decades in independent natural health research and education, Nathan shares his top solutions for preventing and overcoming disease while optimizing health and improving human performance. Each week, Nathan brings on highly renowned experts to share natural and holistic health science, strategies, and breakthroughs for living your healthiest, happiest, and most fulfilling life. And now, here's Nathan Crane. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I am joined by Dr. Tony Gallardi, who is a Jungian-trained PhD psychotherapist um, and an executive coach. She's an evolutionary medical astrologer and author of The Life Quake Phenomenon. Also, her new book uh, that has just come out is called Breast Quake, and uh, she shares her journey through breast cancer and what she has done to help heal herself and uh, excited Tony to have you here on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Hi, you're one of my heroes. So it's, it's an honor to be here. Oh, that's, uh, that's really humbling to hear. What, why, why do you say that? In what way? What do you, what do you mean? I'll tell you why. Well, I mentioned you three times in my book because when I was originally uh, diagnosed, I started to do an immersion in research because the turning point was in the breast cancer surgeon's office when she said she looked at the scans and she was looking at them for the first time after the biopsy. And she said, Oh my gosh. And I thought, Oh my, you know, she's seeing something that's really bad. Right. She said, your tumor is in the shape of a heart. Hmm. And one of my girlfriends who came with me said a cracked heart. She was looking at it because there was a, you know, line down the middle. And uh, she said, well, that's because two tumors merged into one. And I knew in that, because it was in the left upper quadrant of my left breast, that this was emotional. And I knew that I needed to find answers. And so one of the things I did was immerse myself in your your summits and your holistic telesummits, which were a lifesaver, you know, because it helped me to understand. I had gone to Optimum Health Institute at age 30 uh, when I had Epstein Barr. In so San I Diego, saw, the one in San Diego. San Diego, yeah. Yep. Which is like the, you know, your Hippocrates in, in Florida. And so I knew I saw people with advanced stages of cancer heal themselves with enough detoxification. And the fact that they took on the mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical, I knew I needed to to kind of adopt that model. And because I'm a psychotherapist, I knew there was emotional trauma that was connected to this tumor. I had lost both of my parents six months apart, a few years before. I'd moved across country from California to Asheville. I broke up with in a, a, a five-year relationship. We were engaged. So it was boom, 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 change after change after change, and not enough time to process the emotional trauma. So um, there was, so I started gathering because I'm a researcher uh, and I've had the path of the wounded healer. I've almost died three times, you know, over the course of my adult life. Yeah. I've had that initiation, the shamanic initiation, and everything that ever happened to me, I turned around and helped other people. So I knew that when this, when I, that the way I was going to heal breast cancer, it needed to be a way that other people could adopt 
because there are plenty of people who can't go and spend the money at uh, Optimum Health or a cancer clinic, you know, because they're expensive. You know, I, I looked into them, 30,000 a month, you know? So I started looking and the traditional, and I, I just wanna quote this, the Journal of American Medical Association in February of this year, here's this traditional journal saying that women are paying more for breast cancer treatment. And they're concerned about this. this they're obviously talking about traditional treatment. Women are paying more for, for breast cancer treatment than colorectal, lung, and um, uh, prostate cancer combined, okay? So if that's happening in the traditional world where you know people have $10,000 deductibles and whatnot, I thought I've got to find a way to heal me because my thing is helping others. It's everything I've ever, ever gotten, you know, physically, I've gone on to help others. So I said, I've got to find a way to biohack this so that I, so that people can do this at home. And so when I heard, you know, there were things that you said and, and, and people you interviewed that you can't find on the internet. So people like you are doing this amazing service. And that's why I mentioned you three different times in my book of things that you had said that I took with me. For example, I started doing vitamin C IVs. I did SEACT, I did a bunch of things. And things that were, that SEACT is a dollar a day, you know? And this company that I adore these people, you know, they have a company called SEAC, uh, Genuine SEAC. And they will, if you do their program th three times a day on an empty stomach, three ounces of their, their tea, you make it the way they tell you to make it, you drink it three times a day for six months. If you don't reverse cancer, they give you your money back. Wow. So it was they're like that. And I, holy cow. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. I mean, one, it's amazing that they're, they're able to, you know, I mean, they're not Promise making, that. they're not making a claim, right? I mean, are they guaranteeing it or they're, they're just saying, we'll give you your money back. If it if, doesn't, if it, if it doesn't work, which is, which is awesome right. to do. Right. I mean, um, that's going to draw a lot of attention to them. Unfortunately, a lot of negative attention, so but something that's pretty cool. Said, something you said on, you were interviewing a doctor and you said you, you were talking about a story of a woman who had uh, been doing holistic treatment, but then at the last minute, like she got convinced into having surgery, you know, yep. she had like a half centimeter left or something yep. like that pressured into having the surgery. And when they opened her up, it was necrotic tissue, right? Exactly. So yep. I went on the internet and I looked this up. I have it that I have it in my book, actually. So you things I got from you, then I was able to go on and do the research. If you don't know where to go, you won't find them on the internet. Exactly. And that's what people understand. So your summits are so invaluable for this kind of thing. So what I did was I found the substantiation. There is a, a radiologist in Oslo who was saying, we can't tell in some tumors, we can't tell the difference between dead cancer cells and live ones, which is, and I asked my breast cancer surgeon when I had to go in because she, she thinks I'm a pain in the ass. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean nothing to her, right? Cause I have had surgery, but I have to come back and one after one year, you know, every year I have to go and see her. And I talked her into, you know, doing a mammogram with an iodine contrast instead of the MRI with the, you know, the, the black dye. So, Hey, I just want to take a quick second and thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you're enjoying it so far as a special thank you for tuning into this episode. I want to give you 
my number one Amazon best-selling book, absolutely free. You can go download it right now at becomingcancerfree.com. If you want to learn evidence-based strategies for helping your body become a cancer-fighting machine for not only cancer reversal, but cancer prevention, go grab a copy of the book. Again, I'm just giving it to you for free. You can go download it at becomingcancerfree.com. All right, let's get back to the show. Anyway, she, I asked her, I said, is it true that you can't tell the difference after you do radiation? You know, uh, and she said, yeah, that's why we, we wait, you know, because it takes time for the body to clear the dead tissue. Well, vitamin C, for example, in high dose intravenous vitamin C has the same kind of effect. It's oxygenating, not just the tumor, but every cancer cell in your body that might, you might not know about. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. The vitamin C is, is a prerequisite for hydrogen peroxide. And so the more vitamin C you have, the more hydrogen peroxide your body makes and hydrogen peroxide is, it literally kills cancer cells. So, you know, that's the theory behind why high dose vitamin C works so well against cancer is because it's producing so much hydrogen peroxide naturally inside your body, uh, which is, as we're talking about, you know, highly oxygenating the environment around the cells. And we know cancer cells can't live in a highly oxygenated environment. Um, they, you know, they require an anaerobic environment lacking oxygen. So yeah, it is interesting um, that we have these natural solutions for basically the similar mechanisms of action that conventional therapies or chemotherapies, radiation, et cetera, does to the cancer cell. But in this case, high dose vitamin C is not damaging the healthy cells. That's, that's right. the really cool thing. But we also have to be super careful because these giant social media companies will take this information and, um, and, and as you said, prevent it from getting out to the public. YouTube now is actually going against going out and, and seeking cancer content and, and, um, deplatforming really? it and removing it from YouTube. Yeah. Well, even if it's based in evidence, just like they did for COVID. So I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen with my YouTube channel at this point. Um, you know, but everything we share is, is either like your case, you're sharing your story and what you did and how you healed. Um, and everything that we share and talk about is evidence-based. I mean, it's in the journals, everything in the I literature. Did Everything I did is evidence-based. So the Reardon protocol you can find if you know where to go by, you know, by Googling R-I-O-R-D-A-N, Reardon protocol, because he is one of the few people who could get the 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 money to do a formal, you know, evidence-based clinical trial. You know, who pays for clinical trials mostly? Pharmaceutical companies, right? So getting the money to be able to show efficacy is not easy, but he has 50 years of efficacy behind his protocol, you know, and now his son has taken on that, that work as well. But there is, there's tremendous, and so I only did things that I knew could, because I didn't want to be taken down, you know, but I, so I did things that have evidence-based, uh, SEACT, hundred years of data on, since the twenties. Um, so the things that I did all are evidence-based. Then there were the things I got into because I'm a career coach that have to do with occupational risk. 
And that I didn't see in any book that I read on alternative treatment of breast cancer. You know, no one is going, but because this is my passion, it's helping people get aligned. You know, I came out of addiction treatment. And one of the things I brought to addiction treatment consulting was having people look at what can drive addiction um, when, when someone is not doing something they're passionate about. And that when you include that, you know, in a residential treatment where someone gets to look at like, what am I really, what do I want to do with my life that makes my life thrive? So I started looking at that and there are actual occupations that are tied, that puts you more at risk than any other occupation for breast cancer. And so I have that in, in my book as well. Well, number one, thank you for sharing that with me. I'm so glad that the, you know, the work that I and my team have been able to do supported you and your healing journey. Like that's, I just, I love hearing stories like yours because it makes me, you know, so fulfilled to, to continue doing this work. Cause it's not easy. It's not easy that, you know, it's like we get attacked, we get deplatformed, we get censored. We have people calling us quacks and fakes and, and whatever, right? And it's like, your story is amazing and incredible. And um, I've heard a lot of stories like that. They, you know, follow our information, follow our coaching, watch our docuseries, you know, read my books, et cetera, et cetera. Make the change. It's not me who's doing it, right? It's you. It's the, it's the patients. It's the clients. It's the people who say, yeah, this all makes sense to me. I'm making the changes in my life. I'm changing my diet. I'm implementing these protocols. I'm going to reduce my stress. I'm going to heal my emotional trauma. I'm going to do sauna, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, I hear, I got an email not too long ago from, uh, from a woman who said, you know, my, um, my cancer's regressing. I've been following everything you've been teaching for the past year. And my latest scan actually shows my cancer is regressing. So um, it's intentional what you've done. And it's cool that you're, you, you know, you put this into information that you can share with others. And I want to get more into your specific protocols in this podcast. I have some other questions for you, though, in the meantime. Um, but one, just thank you for sharing that. It truly, truly touches my heart to hear it and to see you, you know, where you're at thriving now, able to take what could have been a devastating, you know, life um, destroying uh, diagnosis right. and turn it into something positive and meaningful to then go out and help others. Um, and it's changed your life for the better, obviously. Hey, I just want to pause a second and ask you, are you enjoying this episode so far? Are you getting good value from this content? If so, then I know you're going to absolutely love Healing Life. At healinglife.net, you get exclusive and premier access to hundreds of the top world's doctors, experts, cancer conquerors and survivors, exclusive interviews that I have done with all these experts and doctors uh, that are not available for free online. They're only available at healinglife.net. So not only do you get access to all of those, but you actually get to speak with these doctors and experts and ask them any question you want about health and healing. And this is available exclusively to Healing Life members. You can try it out for free. Go to healinglife.net and you can start your free trial there. And uh, whether you're interested in learning more about detox or cancer, diet and nutrition and nutritional science, about diabetes, about heart disease, autoimmune disease, anti-aging, longevity, all of these topics are covered in depth and more are continuing to be added at Healing Life. And again, you get to talk to these doctors yourself. So I invite you to set up a free trial at Healing Life. Dot net, and I hope to see you 
over there. Now let's get back to the show. And to be able to glow during in the in the in the in the middle of breast cancer, I took pictures. I had people take pictures that I put in the book of what you can look like in the middle of breast cancer treatment. I was originally diagnosed at stage two in invasive ductal carcinoma. And in the middle of my treatment, halfway through, I am, my face is, I thought I was in really good health, organic, non-gluten, non-alcohol diet, you know, name it. But man, detoxing, what that does, it's the best cosmetic in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um... I just shared my detox protocol with a friend yesterday. He's like, hey, do you know anything about heavy metals? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Researching heavy metals and detoxing and sharing that for like 15 years with people. And so I sent in some, some info yesterday. I've got like a daily detox protocol that I recommend that kind of hits heavy metals, fungus, parasites, candida, et cetera. Just something you can do morning, evening, each day. Keep it simple. But detox is critical with how many toxins we're exposed to today. And... I want to go back. I want to sh share a little since we glossed over that story, because I think I mean, that story touched me in such a profound way as well. The, the story that I shared in our documentary series, The Missing Link that you're talking about of the woman who she was um, she I don't remember what stage she was. I think she was like stage three or stage four. She had a pretty big uh, breast cancer tumor there, you know, and but she was doing everything natural. She was following the holistic protocols she was, you know, the tumor basically had stopped growing and it was for quite a while. She had changed her diet and she was doing emotional healing and she was doing a whole bunch of a holistic approach and, and the tumor stopped growing, but she was told by, it was, I think it was a family members or somebody had convinced her and said, look, that's, it's going to kill you. You have to get that out of you now even though she'd been doing this protocol, following her integrative doctor's guidance, you know, it didn't, she didn't have many symptoms from it. It wasn't impeding in her life in any way. It wasn't, you know, it was just the fear. It was just the fear of uh, someone in your ear. And this is something people can take a lot away from is we have to learn how to differentiate between somebody else's fear projecting on us and what our own intuition is telling us. And her intuition told her, go holistic, go natural. That was her choice. And, and you know, results, if you stop the progression of a tumor, that's results. It's not growing anymore. Like, that's amazing. That, that alone should tell you, hey, what I'm doing is working. But someone's in her ear putting all this fear in her. So she, so she goes in and ends up getting, I think it was so large. I don't even think, i don't not sure if it was just a lumpectomy, but actually actually had her breast completely removed. That's what it was. She had her breast removed um, because it was, uh, I believe, metastasized. I think it was like, I think it was either stage three or stage four. And then when they looked and opened up the tumor, it was all dead. Uh, the, the tumor was completely dead. The body was um, just processing those dead cells. And that can take a long time. That can take a long time for your body to get rid of that. Well, now here she is. She has no more breasts. Her breast is gone. She can't do anything about that, right? Like you can't put a breast back on once it's gone. And, you know, to me, that was so eye-opening and so shocking. It's like, you know, sometimes you got to trust your intuition. Sometimes you got to trust what you feel is the right thing to do and just shut out all the outside noise of other people's fear projecting onto you. That certainly was the case. I mean, if she would have, and I talked about this with 
the doctor who was treating her and and he agreed that if she would have just kept doing what she was doing and let her body process that that tissue on its own in months maybe a couple of years you don't know the time length but most likely the body would have removed all those dead cells itself that tumor would have completely dissolved and yeah. the body would have taken care of it and she would have never had to remove her breast but you know that's so what it, that's the power of fear that's why i call it a breastquake and what i think of a breastquake is the awakening into your own inner wisdom and being willing to listen to what is your gut and i as a therapist i work with this all the time and i have exercises in this book about how to strengthen like a muscle your intuition to hear to listen to your own guidance for example when they did the biopsy she wanted to immediately do an mri and i asked can we wait on this and it was a slow growing tumor you know that's another thing to ask that question is, do I have time? And that's what I asked her, do I have time? People don't ask that kind of question. They hear cancer and they go passive. Just tell me what to do, doc. Just tell me what to do. And so I said, I have time. I said, okay, I would rather wait on the MRI and do my thing. And in three months we can do the MRI. I, I said, I'll agree to that. If we can, if we can, if you give me three months. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. I want to take a quick second and let you know about something really special I recently updated. I think uh, you might benefit greatly from something I think you might enjoy and want to take a look at. And it is my book called The Panacea Cleanse. It's a powerful 12-day plant-based detoxification and healing guide. It's already hit number one in four categories on Amazon. There's thousands of people that have done this cleanse and I've read so many testimonials from it. Let me read you one really quick. Aaron said, I did the panacea cleanse and followed your instructions closely. I had amazing results. I stayed healthy while everyone around me, my kids and family were getting very ill from a virus. I also lost some weight and my menstrual cycles are much less painful. I also don't have bad headaches anymore. Thanks for the information you put out. She's just one of thousands who have gained Tremendous benefit from this cleanse. If you want to improve the quality of your life and your health, clean out your organs, clean out your digestive tract, help lose weight and burn fat, and basically give you more energy, help you feel alive, go check out the Panacea Cleanse, P-A-N-A-C-E-A, -A -A, the Panacea Cleanse on Amazon. It's like 12 bucks or something like that. And you can follow it day by day. It's got a recipe list. It's got a shopping list. It's got everything you need in there to follow this powerful cleanse. It took me about two years to create it. My wife and I have done it multiple times. It's been amazing in our own lives, and I'm happy to share it with you. So uh, go check it out if you're interested. The Panacea Cleanse. It's on Amazon. Thanks, and let's get back to the show. So in that three month period of time, it's when I did certain things, you know, um, that I did all on my own, by the way, I was not managed by a physician of any kind. And I found a, a center that does IVs. I, there's something called the G6PD, which is a lab test. If you do not have this kind of rare blood disorder, then they can do high dose vitamin C IVs with you, you know? And anytime I start feeling run down, I go and I just go over there and I get another 50 grams of vitamin C and I, it because it supports your adrenals in a, in a big way besides cancer, you know? So three months pass, I do, do the MRI and with that black diving, you know, 
uh, shot into my body. But, um, and it showed according to the MRI, um, a 70% reduction. What she said to me was, um, when she called to tell me the results, she said, uh, your tumor is at 500 millimeters. And I said, 500 millimeters? That's a 70% reduction, you know? She said, well, we don't have an MRI to contrast it with. And I said, well, what do you mean? I, I said, so are you telling me that I need to then have another MRI in six months? And she said, no, um, and a, a mammogram will be sufficient. And I just thought, okay, I don't understand how any of this works. So I had to wait, but I knew it was gone. I could feel it was because I could feel it, you know, and it was gone within three months of the biopsy. And, but it, I had to wait for that half a centimeter, you know, that was left to clear the body. And it did. Did, did you, you know. sorry, it, your first, with the biopsy, did you say you had an ultrasound too? Or how did they distinguish the so size the of the mammogram? So three months prior to that, I had a mammogram. Oh, you did have a mammogram and ultrasound. Okay. So they, so they determined the size at that point. They, in three months prior. So in May, this was in August when the biopsy was done in May is when I woke up and I felt the, the lump in my, in my breast. So I, mm. you know, called my doctor and we did the mammogram and ultrasound and the radiologist told me because of the size of it, it was a little more than two centimeters by two centimeters. She thought it was a stage two. It looked invasive. And I just decided I was going to wait on the biopsy and do um, a temp pass. So I went to California and visited friends and did ozone. So I did ozone therapy, five, five treatments of ozone therapy, and continued doing coffee enemas and some other things that, that I talk about in the book. And did they do, did you do the ozone where they ran it through a um, put it into your blood into a right. blood machine then put the blood back into your Yeah. So it's um and they do that 10 times. You know, they can can do five passes and they can do 10 passes. Dr. Leibowitz, who was the doctor who who, uh supervised that, you know, those treatments, told me that he had a patient come to see him who had metastatic, metastatic breast cancer. They could do nothing for her. They basically said it was in her, she had it started in her breast and went to her pelvis, it was in her bones, supposedly. And he so they told her there was nothing really, they could give her maybe three months, you know, with chemo. And so she said she had nothing to lose. So she went to him and she could only afford to do five passes. So they did five passes twice a week for 16 weeks. And at the end of 16 weeks, according to Dr. Leibowitz, it was gone. It was mm. gone completely, completely, the body completely healed. So again, ozone is another form of oxygen, right? Yep. It's just more expensive. It's more expensive than vitamin C IVs are, you know, yep. like five times more expensive, you know? So it was, how, important how often when, were you doing coffee enemas? Uh, twice a week. So, so I want to make a point about that. I believe, and because I address my book is oriented toward women who have stage zero to two, not advanced uh, breast cancer. Um, I, if I had had metastatic breast cancer, I would have been supervised. I would have gone to a, a holistic doctor or clinic, but it was COVID and there was no naturopathic doctors taking new patients. So I had to do my own research, you know? So, but the, the thing that, that I learned was that I didn't have to do things as rigid as even the alternative people will say, absolutely no sugar. Okay. Well, I went on, I, I was never on, I hadn't been on refined sugar for a long time anyway, but I still let, gave myself you know, raw cacao chocolate made with coconut sugar, you know, I, you know, still gave myself fruit, 
that I wanted to do things because uh, I was my own guinea pig to see would this work so that other people would stay on it because there are women who won't stay on this program, Nathan. If you yep. tell them, like some of the doctors that I know you've interviewed have said, you have to do live food for a year. You know, well, if you're metastatic, I would agree, agree with that. You know, but if you're in early stage breast cancer, you can allow yourself to have some joy so that you'll keep doing the program. You have and a that's lot more time. You yeah. have a lot more time. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the big things that, you know, you were, you were well-educated, well-informed going into your oncologist, into your doctor and saying, Hey, look, I, I'm going to try some things for a few months and we'll see what happens, you know, and then, and then I'll come back and we'll check up on this. I think that's what I would do too. I mean, that's, I think that's really smart, especially if you're stage one, stage two. I mean, you know, at, at, at later stages, there's still, there's still more time than you often think there is now certain cases, you know, I mean, there are certain cases where like an immediate surgery could save your life. Hey, go for it. Right. Uh, I mean, I'm not here to tell anybody what to do and what not to do. It's like, but if I were in the situation and yeah, you know, you've got a tumor blocking your colon. And if we don't get this out of you right. in the next week, right. like you're going to back up and die. Like, okay, you know, let's get it out, you know, and then focus on everything else. Or, you know, you've got, you know, a tumor on your brain stem is pushing up and it, you know, there's certain cases where it's like, Hey, I would do surgery, get that thing out of me. Western medicine can be great for surgery, but I think way more often than not, people are rushed into, again, out of fear from their oncologist into treatments they know nothing about, the long-term effects of these treatments, the, the safety of these treatments, the damages of these treatments, and end up making decisions that you know, sometimes they feel terrible about. And I know this because we talk to them because they come to us because they get recurrence. So, you know, they do the, the surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, right? And then the cancer comes back three years later. And it's like, doctor, I thought you healed me. What's going on here? And so then they find us because they research and go, hey, there's something else going on here that's causing the cancer. What's ca Once you ask that question, what's causing the cancer? And then, yes. then you'll usually find our material. You know, you'll find Conquering Cancer. You'll find my books. You'll find our docuseries, documentaries, all that stuff. Because we look at the cause, the root cause, and we know what the causes of cancer are. You know, your oncologist doesn't know because they're not trained on that because they're trained on pharmacology and they're trained on surgery and radiation. They're trained on symptom management and attacking the disease like the disease is, is an enemy against you. And it's not. The disease is a result of an exact set of circumstances that uh, our bodies have been uh, introduced to through the internal and external environment for a long period of time, right? And um, so most cases, long period of time, sometimes short period of time, like you know, heavy stresses for three months, six months, a year. I mean, it's kind of a short period of time, but it can, boom, make a cancer grow rapidly. So when you start looking at the causes, what causes, then you can start to think through, okay, what can I do about this and address this at the root cause? And there's so many, you know, they call them spontaneous healings. They're actually, I had Dr. Bernie Siegel. I don't know if you know him, but um, we're honoring him with a Lifetime Achievement Award at our Integrative Cancer Conference, our Biljansky Cancer Conference coming up. He's turning 92 on uh, Saturday of our conference, October 14th. And he, um, he's such an amazing man, by the way. He's like, he's, he's such a, just a brilliant, funny, incredible man. But um, 
forgot what I was going to say about him specifically. <laughs> I had like a hundred thoughts coming at the same time that I wanted to share, but, but, um, you know, Bernie has helped his, so many of his patients heal from quote unquote, incurable stages of cancer, oftentimes by helping them rethink and re-examine their life and understand, you know, what's at the root of all this stress and problems in their life. And they get to that root and then they go home and start doing something that brings them passion and meaning and purpose. And then 14 years later, they walk into his office and he goes, you're supposed to be dead you know, 14 years ago, what happened to you? And they're like, well, I went home and I started gardening and landscaping and doing things I enjoyed. I just forgot to die, you know? And it's those kinds of stories that are just like incredibly inspiring. Obviously there's no guarantees with cancer, but in your case, as you discovered, you know, researching, taking action, following your intuition, getting guidance, you know, being smart about it, um, doing it safely, all that kind of stuff, you know, you have so much more time in a lot of cases than you're led to believe that you do. What I wanted in this book was also to be focused on prevention because I have a passion for prevention. My first two books were about helping people figure out when it's time to leave the life that they were in before they hit the wall. And it's because so many people wait until catastrophic crisis, whether it's a health crisis or it's a, a job crisis before they before they do anything. And so Lifequake in my first two books was examining that. How do you find your purpose? So in this book, it was important to look at root cause. What's the root cause emotionally? What's the root cause environmentally? What's driving this? One of the things that I discovered by you know the, some of the women, wonderful Dr. Jen Simmons, who, who wrote the foreword to my book, breast cancer surgeon, who talks about in the, in the foreword that this is a symptom that breast cancer is a symptom of an environmental problem going on in your life. And that what is xenoestrogenic is the cause, not the estradiol in a woman's body. And women have been led to believe that when they have an estrogen positive tumor, that it means it's because they have too much estrogen. So what do they give you? Tamoxifen, aromatase inhibitors, pharmaceutical aromatase inhibitors instead of things like dim and broccoli sprouts and things of that nature that you know I grow, I now grow. So mm -hmm. I took a look at organic soy. Yep. Yeah. It's so important to look at, you know, Bernie, I mentioned Bernie in this book as well. I, one of the things I loved about his book also was that he said he really helps a patient get in touch with what can they get behind because it's placebo. So I do the same thing as, as, a, as a therapist, as a psychotherapist and as a coach is what can this person get behind that's going to be the best healing for them? So I say it several times during the book. I don't, I don't condemn anybody who chooses to have a lumpectomy or a mastectomy or whatever it is. If that's something they can totally 100% get behind and believe this will help them heal. My concern is that for stage zero, and this is happening as a trend in traditional medicine, they are telling women, breast cancer surgeons are telling women that if you have a mastectomy, and of course people want to have a bilateral mastectomy so that it, they both look you know, the same, both breasts look the same if only one breast has dysplasia. And what stage zero is, is dysplasia. It's not an invasive cancer. It's a, it's a precancerous condition, mostly, derived from inflammation 
you know, an imbalance in the body. And all you do, you know, for the most part, if you have stage zero breast cancer, if you detox your liver, you detox your, your colon, that's going to go away. If you look at your life and you see, am I, if what I'm doing for a living, am I passionate about what I'm doing? Does, am I in a good relationship? One of the, I have a whole chapter on, on uh, toxic marriage and there's data, clinical data that shows uh, women in their forties. And by the way, in 2022, it jumped, doubled the number of younger women getting breast cancer now. Okay. It was 10 to 13% of breast cancer diagnoses were, were women over 50. Now it's getting younger and younger. And it has literally, it doubled in one year, you know, it's we're sad. up to now 20, 25%. It's, sad. Know, it's, the, it's the number one killer of can cancer in women as well. And it's the, the number one cancer in women. And it's, it's very sad. It's very sad and, and troubling and scary, you know, for um, a woman, for anybody to be told you have cancer, you know, and, and then rushed into, like I said, treatments you might not know anything about. And so I love what you're doing, which is, you know, empowering and educating women and saying, Hey, especially stage one, stage two and, and prevention and saying, Hey, here's what you need to know. Here's some options. Here's some things to think about you know, that way, when you have a diagnosis, you can take a few steps back and do some research and then make an educated decision. I mean, that's, that's all I, that's all that's I it. wanted. That's all I wanted since I've started this work with cancer specifically well over a decade ago, because my grandfather passed from what I believe were the treatments that he was receiving, the chemotherapy and radiation, I believe killed him, not the cancer. And I have a lot of evidence to support that, but, um, personal, you know, anecdotal evidence to support that. And, and I met a lot of people along the way who have said exactly the same thing. Um, and so all I want to do was learn about what can we actually do to prevent cancer and to help our bodies fight cancer naturally. And then, ha and then know our options. If you're ever diagnosed, what other options do you have? Is that the only option? Well, no, that's not the only option. There are a lot of options, but I want to read, we're talking about Bernie Siegel. I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I was doing a recording with him yesterday and asked him, um, you know, five or 10 minutes for his acceptance speech for uh, the conference for his Lifetime Achievement Award. And, um, you know, with Bernie, it's it's like you're, he's going to tell stories for hours and hours. And I love his stories. And I love and I'm just sitting there like, you know, it's late in the evening. I'm I'm late for, you know, uh, seeing my kids after school, going to the gym um, eating, I'm hungry, I'm tired. It's like five thirty, six o'clock had a long day. And then I've got Bernie on here talking for like, you know, it's supposed to be five or 10 minutes and it's like an hour later. And he's, and I'm like, all right, Bernie, we got to wrap up now. And he's like, um, okay, I got, I got a good story for wrap up. And he tells, oh, you know what? One more thing to help make the point. And oh, one more story I got to share. <laughs> and I was just like, I'm sitting there and I'm actually reveling in it. And, 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 really trying to like push aside the hunger and the urgency to leave and all the human ego stuff and just like be present with this incredibly brilliant, wise, loving man and like, you know, receive this wisdom that he's sharing. And so, you know, it, it was honestly a struggle and at the same time really rewarding. And I'm glad I did and didn't, you know, cut him off early. So we have like almost an hour of just like gold that he shared, but now I figure out how to like cut, five minutes out of that for his acceptance speech. But anyway, he emailed me afterwards and he says, remember to tell people to draw 
and talk to themselves and learn about who they really are and their family too. It helps you as parents very much. Peace be with you, Bernie. Because a lot of his work, as you know, you read his book, um, you know, he would have going back to, hey, if someone wants to choose chemotherapy, radiation, et cetera, what he would do is have them first draw themselves. Hey, draw yourself in, in the room having surgery. Draw a picture, paint a picture of yourself. It doesn't matter if you're an artist, doesn't matter. Just draw something of yourself in the room receiving the treatment. And if he ever saw anything from that drawing, from that person that had like, he would see drawings that like showed them with like X's on their eyes or, you know, like symbols of death and things like that. He said, don't do the treatment. Don't do the treatment until you get your mind around that this treatment is going to be good for you. And then if you saw someone there with family and hugging and like he drew, you know, someone drew themselves looking happy and healthy. He said, Hey, keep, that's great. Keep this in your mind that the treatment is going to help you. And he would encourage them to draw, actually draw and paint pictures of themselves and think about and visualize themselves receiving the treatment and being benefited from it and being healed from it. You know, you're talking about placebo. This is what he did with his patients. And he had the best patient. He had the best outcomes for his patients out of anybody in his hospital. And so a lot of the nurses wanted to work with him because he always had these inc crazy, incredible results with patients where some patients, they, they wouldn't lose their hair. And he showed his nurses their paintings where they drew after treatment, you know, they drew hair on themselves and, you know, visualize themselves having energy and feeling good and not getting sick from the treatment. And so there is 100% something to be said about, hey, whatever treatment you're going into, make sure you feel good about it. Make sure you visualize yourself receiving benefit from it. Make sure you go into it, you know, feeling strong and, and healthy and seeing yourself that way because we know the power of the mind and its impact on the physiology and the outcome of the actions that we take for our own health. Um, and so he's, you know, Bernie is just a, a true legend. And um, he emailed me that last night. So I had to make sure to talk about it since we were talking about him. <laughs> sure, absolutely. So I, one of the things that when I was talking about stage zero, there's been a trend that breast cancer surgeons are telling patients that if they have this bilateral mastectomy, they don't have to do radiation. And this is how, what is talking women into it, you know? Um, and it's unfortunate. One of the things that I talk about in this book that's a little, uh, very unconventional is medical astrology. And, um, Medical astrology was taught in medical school at one time, you know, before we moved into the Cartesian age, which was all about the linear, you know, what you see is what you believe instead of what you believe is what you will manifest, right? That we are now seeing in through quantum physics. But at one time they took, they took medical astrology out of medical schools. And I began studying medical astrology in my thirties and then became a consultant to integrative and functional medicine doctors who had hard to, to, they couldn't figure out a case. So I, you know, they consulted with me and there were certain things that I could see in a chart. And one of the things that I studied was I looked at the charts of 30 celebrities and um, 30 women, and then four celebrity men who'd had breast cancer because the numbers are going up in men as well. Um, you may know that um, breast cancer, it, you know, although it's still only a little less than 2% of breast cancer uh, diagnoses, uh, the numbers are jumping. 
in um, men being diagnosed. So it's in the it's in the thousands. It's in the thousands. I think it's still very low, but it's as you said, it is growing. Yeah, year after year. It's about three thousand a year of men who are diagnosed, and uh, 520 men died of breast cancer last year. So in the United States. But anyway, so but I wanted to see if there was a pattern, you know, could I see, was there a repetitive pattern in the charts of celebrities? And I thought, given all the money they have, but probably they must have, because I was looking for answers at the time, they must have gone holistic, you know, because they had the money to do this kind of thing. None of the women that at least they weren't admitting it on, you know, on record had done any kind of, other than Suzanne Summers after she'd had, you know, um, a lumpectomy and radiation. And they gave her a hard time. The fact that she didn't do chemo at that time and that she did mistletoe therapy, they gave her a hard time about that, you know? So what I saw was a pattern. There was a pattern and it was emotional in nature that there was a pattern of a certain kind of type of person who is more emotional and who has a lot of water in their chart. And, um, and that kept repeating over and over again, you know, except for Cheryl Crow, she was the only only chart that I looked at that did not have water in the chart, but she was under a transit from the planet that rules water, which is Neptune. So there is that's what led me to start looking at the emotional piece. I thought, okay, if this is repeating over and over again in the charts of celebrity women, and I have I'm a triple water sign, you know, then is it possible that those who hold who process, you know, emotions differently, who, who take on, who are empaths, for example, people who are very empathic. And so I read an interview actually with Cheryl Crow, even though she's a fire air person, she's an Aquarian. She said, one of the things she had to look at was overextending herself, that she had this tendency to take on everybody else's problems and was helping this person, helping that person, giving money here, giving money there. And that she had to learn to have better boundaries. And this is one of the, the the lessons of breast cancer because I see that pattern in breast cancer, you know, women who are thrivers, breast cancer thrivers, is that they've had to look at setting better boundaries, you know, uh, with yeah. others. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. Uh, have you researched uh, German new medicine at all? Have well, there's, which, I mean, there's a lot of German, I mean, there's a lot that comes out of Germany. There's incredible machines, you know, that, well, this is, uh, this is specifically the, it's coined German new medicine. It was founded no. by Dr. Reich hammer, um, decades ago. Are you familiar with that? So his, his research, he took thousands of patients over his career and a brilliant doctor. I mean, incredibly brilliant early on. He started noticing uh, a pattern among cancer patients and emotional trauma. And when he would dig into their charts and life and ask questions, and he started recognizing, hey, every single cancer patient, basically every single cancer patient that he was working with, whether it's breast cancer, colon cancer, brain cancer, didn't really matter, had at some point previously a traumatic experience in their life. And he started looking at, he had a theory and he was able to verify it, that that trauma actually caused a lesion on a specific part of the brain associated with that part of the body. And he was able to, to verify this through MRIs. And then um, he started, you know, really going deep into um, 
the science behind the connection between which part of the brain is that, which part of the body is associated and the organ. And he would find um, matching lesions on the brain and the organ that are associated with each other and that particular trauma and started teaching this and, and, and sharing with others and actually ended up taking it to a really prominent uh, school of medicine. And they told him, I mean, he had so much evidence of this and, MRIs and proof and case studies and reversed. He has, he claims to have a 90% cancer reversal rate uh, from thousands of patients he worked with over the years. And they always, and, and he took it to this university and gave them all the, all the proof, all the data. And this was documented. I can't remember who said it from that university, but said, um, Dr. Hammer is 100% correct with his findings, but we, we can never implement them here because it's it and i'm not quoting this word for word but it's very similar we it goes so much against what what our conventional thinking is about cancer about the body and disease that it just we just can't do it and that's basically where it's been left and now german new medicine anyone can go out and learn about this yourself you can buy books on it there's free videos all over online it's it's a it's a free thing accessible to everybody it's really in-depth and very complex but there's a simple way to understand it and they look at actually the cancer as a more of a healing um, result from that trauma and when you finish your healing phase when you finish your you know healing that trauma that tumor finishes itself in your body basically you know dissolves that tumor and you move on you can heal from it but most people reactivate the trauma through the fear, through triggers, through other situations, through, you know, the prognosis and all the other things that the body actually can never heal because then you're in that sympathetic nervous system state for so long. So anyway, German new medicine, it's really profound, but you were talking about in your own case, you recognized, hey, you were going through the stressful time and you had these kind of, you know, almost traumatic type experiences and then boom, you had breast cancer. Um, I know so many people who have the same story. It's, it's incredible. It's also important to look at early childhood trauma, you know, yeah. that, um, yes, it's, there is a predictor around trauma in the previous five years before a tumor shows up. Um, no question about that. You know, uh, loss losses often will, if you don't process them, if you don't do somatic work. And so that's why in this book, because I'm a psychotherapist and a, and a shamanic practitioner, I teach people how to clear that on a daily basis. You know, we, we take a shower every day, right? Twice a day sometimes, right? We do all this stuff to clean. We clean our teeth. We do that ritual twice a day. Cleansing your etheric body at the end of the day is so important because disease starts in the bodies that are around the physical body. You know, we talk about chakras that are in the etheric body. Well, trauma starts there. It starts in the etheric body. So if at the end of the day, you go back through, and I have this exercise scanning the day, and you look at any time during the day where there was something that hit your system in a sh shocking kind of way or was stressful, to clear it. And I, you know, teach how to do that, you know, how to clear it out of your body so that you reset every day. You're rebalancing your nervous system, taking it into parasympathetic before you go into sleep every single day. And anyone who's had childhood trauma has that PTSD waiting to happen 
the minute something happens in their adult life. So if we don't learn how to do this literally as a practice and a ritual, then it, it collects and it becomes a toxin, you know, emotions become toxins in the body. So what, what were some of the initial, once you recognize, did you recognize right away that like, Hey, this is primarily emotional related, your breast cancer. Was that like a thought that you had early on? Well, because it was in the shape of a heart and it was on, it was over the heart and um, on, in the left breast, which I know is, you know, the feminine side of the body that immediately I thought this is emotional. It was and the just cracked and mind. the cracked heart that your, I think your friend <laughs> said, right. And you had just broken up a five-year relationship. I think you said, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and she said clinically, the, the, you know, the surgeon said, well, that was two tumors, you know, that merged into one. And so I thought at the moment, my thought was my parents' deaths. Mm -hmm. They died six months apart just after I moved here and then COVID hit. So I had no pod to go into. I was, you know, writing my second book. I, I thought, oh, I'll have time to go out and meet people in Asheville. Didn't happen because we went down, everything went down. Right. And so I, you know, I was sequestered. I was alone and lonely and, and grieving. Mm -hmm. And then literally my father's death. And then six months later, my mother died. Wow. So there was this loss that I, and I didn't have time or, or I didn't think I had time to really deep, go deep into that, to that grief and do grief, real uh, appropriate grief work. Cause I was trying to get a book out. And it's what was interesting is what happened was I did Dr. Um, Sue Mortar show. Uh, she was on a Gaia network. I, I did Gaia a couple of times and we did this interview at the end of January, 2020. Okay. And in that interview I was, and I had breast cancer at the time, didn't know it. And I said, my, my, in the, in the interview, my prediction is part of the transformation on the planet that's going to take us into more fifth dimension reality is the transformation that's going to come through confronting cancer and addiction. Mm. And, and three months later is when the interview, the interview came broadcast April of 2020, when the whole world was in a global life quake. Okay. So that, I mean, the response I had, I didn't expect this. I didn't think many people would even watch the interview. You know, none of my, none of my friends had Gaia. So I didn't think, but it goes to 19 countries around the world. And so I started getting hundreds of people reaching out to me who were in their own life quake, right? And so, but, but my context is look at any addictions you have as an opportunity and anyone in recovery, you know, knows this. Um, is an opportunity for, for transformation. Same thing with the health crisis, opportunity for transformation. So I saw that as, okay, I can, if I can heal this emotionally, and I, it's not like I didn't do a physical detox because I did, but it was important to not just do a physical detox, but to look at root cause on an emotional plane and do that processing that I had not done. And for you, what was the, what was your processing like? What, what therapies did you use? Did you mostly do the things yourself? Did you see others? Did you, what were some of the, what were some of the therapies you think really helped you through that? Okay. So Qigong is really helpful, you know, for somebody who cannot afford to go and see a therapist such as myself, um, qi, getting a Qigong practice, because that helps with, you know, energy healing and, uh, uh, on, um, what's the, what was Greg Braden's show called, um, missing links on Gaia. 
he talked about the story of these Qigong masters, four Qigong. Do you know that story of standing so around? I, so I trained for three and I worked really closely with a master Qigong teacher, Master Ming Tang who trained at that medicine list hospital in China uh, and became a, you know, went through the master training program there under Grandmaster Peng Ming from that hospital where Greg Braden shared the video of the, basically the tumor, you know, the energy healing of the, I'll, I'll let you share the story, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, it, it's small world. So, so Ming Tong, so I worked with him really closely and went to his retreats and trained with him very closely for three or four years. No, longer than that, five or six years in Santa Fe, New Mexico. He has a retreat center there. Um, and I've helped him produce master classes and his Qigong master classes and Qigong trainings are available at, at one of my websites at healinglife.net. So I practice Qigong every morning. So I'm very steeped in the, in the Qigong world very much. I love it so much. I think it's, I think it's the thing that people need today. Like yoga came to the West a hundred years ago, whenever, you know, Paramahansa Yogananda came and yoga kind of exploded. I think Qigong is at the precipice of exploding to that level where everybody is going to learn about it and benefit from it because it's so powerful. Yeah, the story that Greg tells is this woman had this huge tumor on her kidney um, and I mean, it was huge. And these, so you see it on the CAT scan. You actually see the tumor on the CAT scan and four Qigong masters are encircling her and it took them four minutes you see it going down and what they're saying in Tibetan, uh, wasa, 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 already healed, already healed in, 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 in this chanting. So that's part of healing, right? Is to see yourself as already healed. Yep. So I extracted from that, you know, of how important it was for me. You asked me, what did I do? Well, I had tools because I'm a, you know, a longtime shamanic teacher. So I had tools that I could use on myself. But for those who can't afford to go to someone like me, then doing a Qigong class, you know, I worked with a Qigong master in California name is Daniela Carraro. And you can do zoom, you know, healings with someone, you know, um, you don't need to be in the same space with them. I also created a power of eight group, which is free. You just have to pull. So I put a power of eight group together and on uh, zoom once a week, eight people came together. I actually, you know, ask 14 people so that there would be enough people each week. And so eight people always showed up and all they did was, you know, no, this doesn't require you to be a Qigong master. doesn't require you to have any kind of energy healing uh, tools. That was what her study was so amazing was that all the people who participated had no, you know, uh, energy uh, uh, mastery techniques. They just, all they were instructed was, was to send energy of radiant love to this person who was the, you know, a, a receiver and for 10 minutes, that's it for 10 minutes. So I did that for 12 weeks. I talk about that in the book because that was talk about humbling for somebody who I was, was identified myself as being the healer, the person who puts the, you know, cape on ta -da, ta -da, and rescues the day is now suddenly having to ask people to come in and say, oh, the meltdown that my ego had to go through. I was sobbed the first two sessions we did this. So that's powerful. And people can do that for free. You just have to bring together people who are willing to hold you as already healed. 
you know, and do that for 10 minutes online. You know, I think Zoom is a great way. It's such a great tool, you know, and, and anybody can get that free of charge, right? You can do 10 minutes, you know, online and, and get it free. So I, that's what I wanted to put in the book were things that people could do cost effectively, you know, for those, and again, for stage zero, one or two, who cannot afford an alternative medicine doctor or, uh, you know, what, is, what would cost for traditional treatment if they have a high deductible, you know, and that there are things you can do yourself, you know, to heal yourself. So that was what I was passionate about. That's beautiful. Um... And there, yeah, there are some, I think the power of group healing in Qigong, it's, it's talked about as the chief field, the field of healing energy that we create as Qigong practitioners all over the world. And as you practice and visualize, it becomes a meditation, often a moving meditation, and you connect to that chief field. I actually interviewed Ming Tong on the podcast recently, and we talked a lot about the chief field and the power of the chief field. And it's basically quantum science is understanding why and how this works now but connecting to a group of other people sharing an intention and an energy towards something that's already healed in the word that uh that uh he uses that i chant every morning in my qigong practice is how la and how la in chinese means all is well and getting better and so mm. when you chant it towards, you know, you're sending healing energy and visualization to something in your body or your life or somebody else, you're chanting, and you're visualizing that area already healed, like wasa, um, meaning, you know, it's already healed. All is well and getting better. All is, it's already well and it's getting better. And you can use that for your relationships, for your finances, for your health. I mean, if nothing else, you know, a powerful way to program your mind towards goodness mm -hmm. instead of, you know, fear and darkness. Um, but I love yes. it. Yeah, I actually did a documentary. Uh, it's on YouTube um, for free. It's with Otis Wallen, who had cancer and... Um, and he was, you know, he would put himself in a heated bathtub, steaming, and then just, you know, wasa, 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 oh, and chanting, and basically shrunk that tumor all the way down to where there was just like a little bit left, and uh, and then he did a cryo, basically froze it off. They were able to do a, a cryoblastation, I think it's called. They freeze a little bit of the tumor that was left, and then it was gone. It was like he was healed from it. Um, but yeah, I went out to his house and interviewed him and his wife and his daughter. And, uh, but he also learned, you know, practiced Qigong and helped heal himself of both that. And I believe a, a, you know, a lesion on his liver. He had a couple other things going on and totally healed himself. It's powerful stuff. I mean, what you're talking about is powerful stuff and it's awesome to, so talk about coincidences, right? If you believe in coincidence as coincide as synchronicities i literally was why and i've seen that video half dozen times of greg braden showing the practice the chi practice qigong practitioners literally dissolving the tumor on the cat scan i've seen it multiple times over the years somehow i was watching it again yesterday so i hadn't seen that video in three or four years and i don't even know how i got to it yesterday but i 
watching the video um, and I downloaded and saved it because they deleted that from YouTube, I think multiple times. So I was like, I'm going to save this. So I have it in case they delete it again. And then now you bring it up in this interview, you know, what a, what a very. Well, people can, you know, get, get Gaia for $9.99 a month, you yep. know, and his, all his interviews, you know, are on there and Qigong, yeah. just like probably get Qigong stuff from you as well. But, you know, there are classes that you can take and, but what you're speaking to when you talk about this yeah, gentleman, we, you know, immersing himself in, is that there are things you can do yourself. You know, he did it himself, right? That you don't have to depend on another person. However, and this is where I come in as a coach, what I have to get to with someone first is whatever's in the way of you taking full responsibility for your health. You can tell someone, you can give them all of the results. I had a woman come to me who had heard about, you know, what I had done with myself and was in corporate America. And, um, and I told her when we, when we, when we did the coaching session, it was clear to me, she was in burnout, hated her job. And she said, I'm just going to go do the lumpectomy. I know that you, you were able to cure yourself, but she said, I'm just going to go do the lumpectomy. So if someone isn't willing to take a deep dive into what their fear is about taking full and total responsibility, there's a, a Brett, you want to talk about synchronicities? What came through my feed? I'm looking for, a, a, mind you, this was weird. I'm looking for a, a, a theta chant, which is six megahertz, you know, uh, that I could listen to because it takes you into theta of, of them chanting, you know, the, the vibration of six, six megahertz delta. And in comes this vlog from a breast cancer surgeon in the UK. And I'm not going to mention her name because I, I want to be respectful of what she's doing, who just had her third bout of breast cancer. And she, she did a, a mastectomy the first time they radiated it. Then the second time it came back, they did radiation again. And the third time, what they are telling her, they just went in and they, they she they snipped the cancer out and they said they don't know what to do because they can't radiate her anymore. The tamoxifen didn't work. So they then they switched her over to a different kind of synthetic aromatase inhibitor. And that is now no longer working. The only thing that they have to give her to knock her estrogen down, which is still that, that belief system that somehow it's the estrogen in your body is, um, is a kind of aromatase inhibitor that they reserve for women who are metastatic, you know, and they wanted to hold that back until she was, she actually had it where it, where it came back metastatic. And I just thought, this is, this is crazy. This is crazy. And she said on camera, women need to know it's not their fault. You know, it's not their fault. This, this is just happened. Some people have it on their D in, in their DNA. Yet we know that only five to 10% of women is it, is it inherited, have the BRCA gene or whatever that really actually has. And even with that, Bruce Lipton's work about, you know, what you can do to reverse anything that you're, you're, you've inherited anyway. But the point is, is that I'm listening to this and she's saying, it's not your fault. And I'm just thought that mentality of no, it's not your fault. I don't think of it, you know, I don't want anyone to feel blame about getting breast cancer. But I did look at taking full responsibility because I knew that's where I had power, that I wasn't going to have power if I just gave it over to someone else who just did what, you know, they thought was best that 
what they're going to get paid to do. A breast cancer surgeon gets paid to do surgery. I don't fault them. This is what they were trained to do, but this is what they can give you in their medicine bag. They can give you surgery. That's the only thing they have in their medicine bag to give you, right? So, but you you run out of options when you go that route. And she she was running out of options now if, with three bouts of breast cancer. So if she were my patient, I'd be asking questions like, do you like what you're doing? Surgeons have a higher risk, like 40% higher risk than even regular physicians. And physicians are at risk with breast cancer. That's what the data shows, you know? So I'd be looking at, do I love what I'm doing? You know, do I, is, is my relationships, you know, in order? She mentioned something about her husband not being able to show up for the third surgery she went through and how distressing that was. So I'd be looking at those emotional pieces, like is everything working in my life or is there something that I haven't looked at that's the etiology, the, the, the root cause, you know, that has nothing to do with the physical symptom. So I, when I'm working with someone, I'm wanting them to look at what is my refusal to take responsibility for my healing? What's that about? Not from a judgmental place, but like, let's be curious about it. Let's just be open and curious. Like what part of me just wants somebody to just do that, do it to me. Right. And I don't have to do anything except recover. Right. Yeah. And that's, I think that's a, that's part of so many people. And I had someone actually message me this morning about some of my videos on Instagram or something and saying, Oh, you're, you know, you're, you're making women feel disempowered because you're saying the cancer's their fault. And I'm like, how do you interpret that from anything that I said? You know, I read other comments and, and women were replying in defense and saying, no, he's empowering people by saying, look, once we know what the cause of the cancer is or the disease or whatever challenge, we know the cause and then we can learn the solutions. Now we can become empowered to actually do something about it. If you don't know what you don't know, how can you make any changes? No one else is going to fix you, right? And But that's what we want. It's like we want someone else to fix us. Hey, I'm broken. Fix me. And that's not true at all. And you're not even broken in that sense. It's like, hey, we often unconsciously or subconsciously have been programmed to live a certain way, to eat a certain way, to behave a certain way to react to situations in a certain way. And the only way we can change that is by becoming aware of how we respond and react to things and then choosing consciously to change it. Well, you can't become aware of something if it's not, you know, pointed out to you and or you're not questioning. You know, I've become so aware of so many of my own faults and traumas and and behaviors and, and bad habits and addictions over the years because I was have always been willing to question myself. Where is this coming from? What is this about? Why did I just react that way? Why did I just yell at my wife in this situation like or say it that way? You know, and I'll go out and I'll, and I'll think about it and I'll ask the questions. And it's not about judgment. It's like, where the hell did that come from? And I sit down and think and question, right? It's basically self-psychoanalyzing. It's like, okay, where's this? Oh, from my childhood. Okay. All right, look. I can forgive myself for that and let's try and catch it next time ahead of time. You know, let's work on preventing that and let's work on healing that. And that's, that is empowering to realize you have the power to turn off those cancer genes. You have the power to turn on your parasympathetic nervous system. You have the power to activate healing within your mind and within your body. Nobody else is going to do it for you, right? We can 
try to pay everyone to do it for us. You know, we can get a massage. That's nice, you know, but you're not gonna have someone that's gonna massage you 12 hours a day. <laughs> so maybe once or twice a week, you know, depending on what you can afford, you know, that massage is gonna put you in that parasympathetic. That's nice. Well, what are you gonna do the, the rest of the, you know, hundreds of hours? Like that's up to you, you know? What are you gonna do when you're sitting in the sauna sweating by yourself? You distract yourself with, you know, television on your phone. Are you gonna sit in meditation and actually experience the challenge and move through it. That's what I love about Qigong as well is it teaches you to move into and accept and embrace the pain and the challenge you're experiencing, not to run from it, not to fight it, not to hide it, not to deny it, but to actually move into, like I have a, a, a big knot in my, I tweaked my rib um, a few weeks back and it just in, you know, uh, flared back up again. And one of the one of the postures we do is spinal bone marrow where you twist all the way around. And right now it's like a level eight pain. And part of it is, you know, moving into it and breathing into it and accepting it instead of going, oh, no, that hurts. I got to stop. And that's what we do. Right. We pain and we flinch and we stop. But but they're very often where the pain we need to move into if it's emotional pain, if it's physical pain, actually, the more we move into it and accept it the more we can actually allow that energy blockage to be released and allow that trauma to heal and allow the physical to heal as well. We know physical therapy, we're actually going to, you know, massage it and move into it and move through it. And that's going to heal it faster versus just sitting here doing nothing, you know, and all the evidence shows that as well as, you know, anyone who's ever experienced it personally. Um, so I love what you're saying in that regard that it, what, one of the it's questions that I, I ask people is how much do you value freedom? You know, uh, because when you take this on for yourself, when you take on the emotional trauma that may have preceded, you know, either unresolved trauma from childhood or things that happened in the last few years, if you take that on and you're willing to sit with yourself and breathe into that, just keep going into it with the breath, keep going into it with the breath, there's a space that gets made inside. And when you start to take on your own healing through doing your research or reading, you know, like my book or your books or whatever, and you get a plan, and I believe in having a plan, a roadmap. That's why I, I wrote this as a roadmap, that if you allow yourself to say, I can do this because I want freedom. I want freedom. And that's what this gives you is more freedom. One of the things when I was speaking with Veronique, Dr. Desaline was we were talking about the fact that, you know, she's had two bouts of breast cancer and she knows that if she were to have it again, she would have more options than the woman who's had radiation, you know, you name it, you know, besides mastectomies has, you know, there, we have more options to detox. It's that it's only a symptom. Cancer shows up it's a symptom. If I could give everyone in, in the, the world one thing, it would be to desensitize them to the word because one out of two people are going to get cancer in their lifetime. And it doesn't mean death. And it does, it, you know, it means something's out of whack. That's all it means. Something's out of whack, especially in early stage. If it's zero, one, or two, that this can be reversed through taking this on on the emotional, physical, and spiritual level. Yeah, I love it. Have freedom. <laughs> freedom. Yeah. Do you want freedom? I, free, I love freedom for me is like <laughs> everything. <laughs> I'm like a freedom. 
uh, freak, if you will, uh, maybe too extreme sometimes. I want to ask you about addiction. So do you have your own personal journey through addiction or what led you to helping people with addiction? Yeah. So I talk about it in my book. My father was a gambler. And um, as a, as a teenager, I struggled with food addiction and um, my, you know, and I knew it was in response to what was out of control in my environment. But one of the things I interviewed a hundred women for this book. And the question I asked them was what was, what were their views? One of the questions about their breasts as a teenager. And it was astounding to me that the women like myself who had big breasts had as much shame about their breasts as the women who had small breasts, Wow! you know, so That's there's crazy this to think from, about from the get go, there's this predisposition in this country, at least toward disrespect for the breasts, you know, where women does the shame sh- come from? Where do you think the shame comes from, from having large breasts? Like, where does that come from? Cat calls when you walk down the street, mm. guys, you know, you know, construction workers or, you know, guys making fun of you at school for your, for your big, you know, what, um, uh, and so you, you learn to hide them, you know, you do all kinds of things. There's a lot of shame that comes with that or thinking that you're only being asked out for your boobs, you know, because if guys, when they're looking at you and they're looking at your chest, you know, while they're talking to you. So there's that whole thing that develops a disrespect for breasts, in my opinion, because I also asked questions about what was your mother's views on her breasts, you know? And again, these were interviews, not just with women who had breast cancer, but all kinds of women, every age. The only women who did not have issues with their breasts, interestingly enough, at least my in my data, were gay women and women who were athletes. Mm, interesting. Having small breasts served them, you know, gay women, right. they, you know, other gay women don't care, you know? Right about how big your breasts are. It's it's so uh, sad that we have a culture that, you know, judges women and that I mean they're they're judgments for men too, but in this case we're specifically talking about women. Like it's sad that we have that. And I remember in school, yeah, that there was, you know, a lot of that. And I'm sure I participated in some of it as a as a teenager. And, you know, one way or the other, like how I don't know, the disheartening that is and if we could teach our kids like how to respect each other and each other's bodies and each other, you know, and not put people through that shame on, you know, it's cause then that shame that you deal with as a kid, then you go into your adult life. And I mean, look at these women that you interviewed and, and men deal with it as well, where you go into your adult life and you're still holding on to these self shames where you have such a hard time loving yourself and your body you know, I've got a little fat on my belly and it's like, oh, I wonder what people think about that. I don't look great or whatever. And it's like, you know, we hold on to this even as adults and think about how negatively that's affecting our life, you know, just in the background every single day. Talk about freedom, that completely takes away your freedom. You mentioned addiction. So the other addiction that followed me into adulthood was codependency. And um, going into a program like Al-Anon, you know, um, really helped. It helped because I was the eldest child and I had no sisters. I had three younger brothers and was my mother's assistant basically in, in trying to deal with this, you know, dysfunction going on with my father's gambling. So I learned at a very young age to be a therapist. I was my mother's counselor at a young age. And this followed me into adulthood. Of course, that 
became my profession, you know, um, but there's an occupational hazard to that, which is being too em empathetic. And so again, to come back to that whole thing about if you give too much, you know, that codependency is the deeper addiction, quite frankly. Um, so a lot of women will say, well, I don't have, I'm not addicted to alcohol or food or, yeah, but look at, you know, where your boundaries are and how do you take care of yourself first before other people, because that in and of itself is an addiction. Mm. So for you with codependency, like how did that show up in a negative way for you? Um, I still deal with it. You know, I was, I was working, uh, went out to dinner with a friend and at the end of, she's a massage therapist. And at the end of the dinner, she said, uh, she talked the whole time and she said, well, thanks for the session. And she has her own therapist. And I thought to myself, okay, you got to stop this, Tony, you know, because you want circular relationships, you know, that that's what you want to, you know, send out to the universe when it comes to, you know, women in your life. Now, I'm very clear about that with in my male relationships and my my partner, you know, my he and I have a very reciprocal kind of relationship where he is genuinely interested in what goes on in my day and on and on. It's not just me listening to him, you know. And, and we're mutually supportive, but that doesn't mean you don't do that with your women friends. So it can show up in other, other places as well. Mm, and, yeah. and it's an occupational ha hazard of being a therapist in that yeah. way. You know? I bet. I yeah. bet. Cause they look at you, oh, she's a therapist. So she can, you know, just sit there and listen to me and listen to me and listen to me. And then selfishly, unknowingly not realize like, Hey, you're a human being too, that needs to share and needs to be heard and needs to you know, have this reciprocal communication. Um, that's why I love the word communication because you break it down, it comes from communion, which literally means to, to, to share, to be reciprocal, to be in harmony with each other. And yeah, if it's just one person always giving, 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 the other person always taking, 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 and there's no reciprocity, things definitely get out of balance. I, I think that happens to a lot of people who go down a spiritual path initially i know it happened to me i don't know if, if it i mean you, you're saying it did happen to you but that's kind of like from your whole life not just it, it happened to me spiritually like i was like oh i i went to the opposite extreme you know as a teenager i dealt with addiction extensively almost to the point of where i died as well multiple times but then when i found a spiritual path it was like Oh, I have to give away everything and serve everybody and not take care of myself and not. And it's just give, 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 give until the point where it was like, I felt so out of balance and so out of my body and so out of touch with, I think, you know, being grounded that it was like just constant, constant giving where then like I had nothing, you know, and I was like, I finally had an awakening moment. It was like, you know what, this isn't, this isn't working. And I don't think this is what being in in balance in our lives is supposed to be like. Um, I think it it does need that reciprocity. We need to be able to give, we need to be able to receive as much as we can give and vice versa. Absolutely. Absolutely. I also think just the, the world as it is, you know, is in such a state of chaos that as you go out into the world and you're dealing with people's frustrations and stress, right? It's important to come home and again, clean out, clean, cleanse your own auric field um, because you don't know who's attached to you. You know, um, there's a lot of parasitic energy out there. People don't mean to, but they're overwhelmed. 
you know, they're overwhelmed. So they're tell they're talking, they're telling their woes to the cashier at the, the grocery store while you're behind them, right? That can can affect you, you know, all these things that aggregate from a world that's in tremendous stress and transition. We're in a big, big transition. So this taking care of yourself by doing emotional and um, energetic cleansing at the end of every day is really critical. I love that. Um, and you said you shared that process in your book, how you do it. Is it something you can share kind of briefly, like overview with us, like what you do? A, a simple version of that would be to just simply say, anyone or anything in my energy field that is not me, go back to whence you came. I love it. Just kind of close your it. eyes, I, visualize it, send it yeah. away. Yeah. Yeah. And any, and it has to go, by the way. I actually do a two-step with that. And then I say, anyone or anything attached to my physical body that is not me, go back to whence you came. Mm. And I do that at the end of every day because I believe that we need to, to, to go into sleep surrounded by a cocoon of light. So that's what I do. I surround myself in a cocoon of light. And that so that I'm not taking on the collective, you know, I am very connected as a shaman and as a mystic to the collective unconscious. You know, I have dreams like I had dreams that COVID was coming. OK. Mm. Um, and so and I had dreams before the 9-11. You know, I, I am connected to the collective unconscious. So I make sure before I go to sleep and we all many of us, you know, have we're not even aware that you are. And so it's important to seal your energy field off before you go into sleep. I have a question for you. Um, so, and I want to ask your, like what you think is the best approach for people or maybe how you deal with it. Someone in your life could be a friend an acquaintance, someone you see often, but they're like a very negative person. Right. And they're, and they're not meaning to be like, to bring you down or whatever. But every time you go visit them or talk to them or whatever, it's like, it's, it's mostly complaints that come out of their mouth, like pouring, you know, rivers of complaints the whole time. What I, you know, like I've got someone, uh, in my life like that right now. And, and I think she's great. And I, you know, like to see her. I want to have conversations with her, but, um, you know, I see her maybe once a day. I'm not going to tell where or when or whatever, because I don't want to like <laughs> point anybody out. But every time I see her, most of the time, it's like she's complaining about something. Just She just needs to vent. And I'm one of those people that uh, listens wholeheartedly and fully to people when they speak and when they vent. This is a practice I've developed over the years. And so people will come to me with their problems and, and share them openly. This is someone who does it all the time, 24 seven. That's just her behavior. Now, what I've started doing, like with her in particular, and, and I think I just developed this habit over the years with people when I notice it's a pattern is I'll just, I'll just like walk away and continue what I'm doing. I'm like, oh, okay. I just shake my head and I just start like walking away, like rather than get into and start asking questions about, because normally that's what I would do. Well, what's going on with this? And what about that? And why do you, you know, why do you feel this way? And that's like kind of getting like a therapy role. <laughs> and then the conversation will never end. And it's all complaints the whole time. Instead of doing that, I just kind of listen for a little bit and I'm like, oh, okay. And then I'll go over and do my thing and like try to be respectful, but not rude, you know, like that works for me, but I don't know if that's the best thing. Like, what do you recommend if people oh, run into that if, situation? If it, 
with if it's someone that you evaluate you want in your life there and it's important to take a look at this you know especially if you're facing breast cancer you know or any kind of cancer um to take a look at who in my life is a toxin okay and um because you know what we have found is that there was a study done in china and the one thing that all the women in the study who had breast cancer had in common was the only thing they had in common. They, their, their diets were varied, their socioeconomic class was varied. The one thing they had in common was a toxic marriage, okay? So, but with, so with, with that, you know, that, that's not as easy to just leave a relationship. But if it was with somebody who you evaluate is really, I'm not getting anything from this. I'm just the listener. Then I would take a look at who do I need to eliminate? However, with those people who you feel there's value, there's something that I'm receiving that's reciprocity in some way, or they're in your family or something, you know? This there's person is kind of, like, kind of like family because we, I'll give this, we work out the same gym together. And so I see her almost every day, right? And there's a friendly, you know, uh, exchange there, but it's not like I'm not looking to get something out of it, but I also, it's not something I can like completely ignore her either. You know what I mean? It's just, I'd call her an acquaintance someone I see every day, you know, so anyway, go okay. continue. So, so the Just to be clear, I'm not talking about my wife. This is somebody at the gym. I knew you were talking about your wife. So the technique that I, that I have begun practicing again, forgetting, you know, but practicing again, and I recommend to people to do while you're in someone's space, instead of trying to figure out what, how to help them, you know, and this is, I'm talking to somebody who's a complainer is to start to, first of all, sh shift your breath to go inside. So you're disconnecting from them, disconnect from them and go into your higher self and connect with their higher self and simply have as an intention, I am holding this person just internally in your own mind. I am holding this person in the highest potential that is possible for them. And that you hold that intention so that you're listening more to that than you are to whatever the, the, you know, the, the stuff is that they're actually spouting. Mm -hmm. And that also helps you to not be slimed because when somebody's complaining, if you're an empath and you take that in, you're, you're getting slimed, your yeah. energetic field is getting slimed. So the way that you prevent yourself from getting slimed is by energetically holding yourself in the light, holding them in the light, and then just continuing to chant inside I hold them in their highest potential. I hold them in their highest potential. They are their highest potential. They are their highest potential. When you keep chanting that, something will shift in the energy because mm. you're disconnected. You're disconnected from their story. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. I'll have to try that. That's really cool. Um, thank you for sharing that. I also have thought about recently, I'm like, I'm seriously considering like just pulling her aside and like, just telling her, you know, being like, Hey, I just want you to know something like, I think you're a good person. I, you know, enjoy being in the, you know, gym together. I, you know, we train, you know, by each other every day, that kind of stuff. Like I, I don't mind talking to you, et cetera, et cetera. But here's my perception. My perception is this, right? You complain a lot about a lot of things and I really just don't want that in my life. I don't need to hear all of that. I thought about telling her, having a conversation with her, but I'm like, is it going to help her or is it going to like create more of a, you know, create a problem? Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. 
I think that um, if someone is committed to that, you know, that kind of energy, that kind of, because it's an addiction, complaining is an addiction. You know, yes, it is. Ex exactly. Yep. Um, what they, you know, as a guy, she may listen to you as long as I think you say, look, I want to, I, I don't want to alienate you. It is not my intention to push you away. It is more actually so that we have better connection mm. than I'm saying. Yeah. You know? I and want that's true. to It's 100% true. Yeah. Like I don't mind but talking with her at all. It's just like I have no interest in people being in my life that just want to come and complain all day long. Like I just don't have an interest in having that energy around me, you know? It's like no thank you. I don't need it. So practice it. See what happens. But I think that if you hold someone in their higher self, practice practice doing that with with somebody who you love, you know, who you trust and uh, uh, that if they're in their complaining mode, practice just seeing them in, in their full potential mm. and see if any sh shifts in the energy. I got, a, I got a few people I could work. I could do that with. I got some good marching <laughs> orders now. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, cool. Well, I will try that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, I think that's important, though, that we, you know, I learned to set boundaries years ago, and it's like those boundaries can, you know, become open because it's like I care about it. When you care about people, when you want to help people, when you feel service to humanity, to others, when you know it's part of your life purpose to help awaken and help guide and help teach and, and, and help, sh you know, share good things with people so they can live a better life. Like, you, I think you become more open to a lot of those situations. And so at some point it's like, yeah, you do have to set some boundaries. Otherwise you just get totally swamped and taken over. And boundary setting takes many different forms. That's what I was saying. Some of it is the interaction with someone. Some of it's when you go out into the world, as I said, it's a chaotic world out there, but if you surround yourself in light, I loved it when we had to be six feet apart in a grocery store. <laughs> really? <laughs> What you can do is you can excite. I thought it was so, thought it was so stupid. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Guess what? You can extend your energy field six feet in every direction. Yeah. And you're filled with light. Your yeah. your quantum field expands, right? That's cool. So, but if you go into the world with that, like I'm, my intention is to go into the world with in this orb of light. Then, then the orb is what's going to uh, uh, actually absorb absorb the toxin of emotions out there in the world somebody who's very empathic like yourself i could imagine that six feet apart actually was probably really like amazing like you're like hey i'm not taking on all these people's energy 24 7 anymore i actually have some space when i'm out in public i bet that was actually pretty nice yes but again you know as i said if you do this exercise before you go out and you clean your field when you come home yeah. it's easy around people to be close to people i mean i'm a very affectionate person i'm italian so you know <laughs> i love hugging and, and touching people when i'm in public like <laughs> do you do you think yeah. if someone like hates being around a lot of people that they could be empathic and they don't know it yeah, yeah. someone's like i mean i'm thinking of somebody i know who's like they absolutely like hate going to places where there's a lot of people they just like and, and it's like it's a loathing thing um, where they just can't stand it for too long. They, they get overwhelmed. And I'm like, 
I need my space, my private space. Like I need, I'm a, I'm a man. I need my cave, right? Like anyone who's um, studied uh, uh, John, um, you know, Mars are from men and women are from Venus. Um, Gray. John Gray's work. Like, I think he's spot on with that. It's like the men, we need to go back to our cave and like, that's how we regenerate. And there's different ways that we do it hundred percent. But I also really enjoy being out in public and being around other people and having conversations at the gym and at the beach and things like that. And people watching, I enjoy it. Like I don't ever feel like, Oh, I hate so many people, but I also need my privacy, like my backyard. Like I don't want to see people walking around when I'm in my backyard naked laying by my pool. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, I want sunshine. I want privacy, but I also don't have a problem going out and being around people where this person's like, they need privacy. They, but they also hate being around other people. And I'm, and I'm thinking, I'm like, I wonder if they're just like an empath and don't know it. High sensitive. Yeah. Think so. It's very possible because anyone who goes out in this is inundated, you know, by the energies of other people is highly sensitive. Mm. No question. Yeah. I might have to, I might have to talk to him about that. Anyway, um, this has been awesome. Tony, thank you so much for reaching out and, Thank you for your, you know, really kind words and congratulations on, you know, just your own personal healing journey and, and the work you've done, obviously, for a long time as a therapist helping people, but now really diving in and helping women with breast cancer. Um, I know you, you've got your new book that just came out, uh, Breastquake, right? Where can people get a copy of that? Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, uh, I'm actually doing, going to be doing some programs, uh, so people can come to the website, breastquake.com, you know, um, I also have lifequake.com. So there's free things that people will get from coming to the website. So it took me a little bit to, to, I was a little slow when I first saw the titles, it took me a little bit to realize like, Oh, like earthquake. It's, <laughs> I didn't get it at first. I was like, quake, what does she mean by quake? I don't know. I'm just, I think my brain was overloaded when I first saw your books, but my, my interpretation of, of a life quake is the awakening into the soul waking up to who it really is, you know? Yeah. And so. the breast quake it is, I mean, a, a cancer diagnosis of the hundreds of cancer patients I've met and talked to over the years, it is like an earthquake in your life. So I think that's a, that's a great title actually. And the fact that you're sharing hope and solutions with people, I think is awesome. So thanks. Appreciate it. And great to get to know you more. Um, awesome. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you, Nathan. It's been so much fun being on your show. <laughs> awesome. All right. And my pleasure. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Nathan Crane Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe and share this on social media. Then head over to NathanCrane.com for your free ebook. So when we're talking about, you know, what are these underlying causes and conditions of these chronic diseases, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, they all have very similar, if not identical causes. And that's the thing is when we get to the root cause of these diseases, we can not only prevent these diseases from ever happening, but empower our bodies to heal from them. In every one of our cells, we have tens and hundreds of thousands of chemical reactions that are happening every second that are cycling uh, back and forth. It's like sort of a, a yin and yang. And you know, for me, the soul, soul's purpose is evolution. 
it doesn't care about comfort, it cares about evolution. Mm. And so I think so long as we are following our soul, then we will evolve. And I think what sometimes blocks us from living our purpose, from manifesting that next level of our expression, is we have not evolved. There is also a time for letting go all the expectations and relax and just breathe and be grateful for what you have achieved.